Hello and welcome. We're live and you are here for a Studio 77 Gamepad interview. Uh, my name is Nigel and I'm the co-founder of MyMatter and organizer of the Gamepad events. I'm Tazzy. I am an online content creator as well as the co-host for the podcast and the online event. And for anyone new to us or anyone who has uh, just come over from the Yuki stream, uh, if you've checked that out, um, I'll give a brief um, overview of what Gamepad is, and then we'll go into our interview for the day. So Gamepad is part of the MyMatter brand, and it's a social gaming event that we have started to promote inclusion and diversity in the video games industry. Yeah, so we've been doing that since about 2015. Fast forward to 2020, when everything that was in physical space is now online. So we've been doing online events since 2020 and using that as a kind of platform to raise awareness of um, games industry careers, as well as provide like opportunities for young people making their steps or their first steps into the games industry. So yeah, uh, I mentioned the Yuki stream and that's uh, something that's been a sort of big part of what we've been able to do over the past year through their Raise the Game pledge. Uh, so it's enabled us to kind of talk to and work with uh, games companies across the uh, country. And in a way, that's kind of how we all got here today. So the other thing just before we get into it is that this is also part of our Studio 77 membership platform where we're doing monthly events around the Gamepad online events that allow us to talk in a bit more depth with people in the games industry. So people who are doing different roles, coming from different backgrounds, having different experiences. And it just enables us to raise that awareness uh, and promote that diversity and inclusion. So with us today is our interview guest, Carla Reyes. So Carla is a product manager at Square Enix and also an advocate uh, within the games industry working with organizations such as Bamin Games and Code Coven as well. And a bit later on during this interview, we're going to be talking to one of the Code Coven alumni. Um, so Carla, welcome. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you with us. Uh, we've spoken a few times before, and but not specifically about how you got to where you are. So yeah, it'll be good to kind of dig into that and um, yeah, find out a bit more about your journey uh, and hopefully that can help with other people who are make, wanting to make a similar kind of uh, journey into the games industry. So we're going to be talking about product management, mobile gaming and making video games more inclusive. Uh, so we're going to start with getting to know a bit more about Carla's journey into games. Um, so what were you actually doing before you got into video games and what, why did you make the transition? Yeah, so I was working in financial technology before. I often joke that I was selling my soul to pay off student loans. Um, but I was working for Visa, which is the payments company. And then I actually transitioned into blockchain, which for anyone who's not familiar with blockchain, it's the underlying technology behind cryptocurrencies. And it's actually a technology that's being explored within the games industry as well. So I thought that that could actually be perhaps a natural transition into games. But at the time, the cryptocurrency markets weren't doing as well as they are now. And most of the companies in the space were focused on the more lucrative sectors being finance or insurance or things like that. So I found myself again in a position where I was not um, you know, working on projects that I was passionate about. I knew I always wanted to be in a more creative space and I kind of just wanted to be able to pay off some student loans and then find a way to, to break into a more creative industry. And I've been a gamer since I was a kid. And that was a, a way that I thought I could sort of uh, combine my love of art and technology. Um, in terms of the transition, yeah, it took, it took a little while because I really wanted to understand how the industry operated. I think the games industry is kind of notorious for being really difficult to break into. And I, I mean, this is one of the reasons why I'm, I'm doing a lot of the advocacy work that, that I'm involved in, because I think it's important for people to know that there, there are ways to, to enter, even if you don't come from, you know, a, a, a traditional uh, academic game design background or, or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, I think basically I, I started volunteering for Bayman Games in the UK and, 
trying to meet some more people that were working in the industry and understand the different types of roles that exist within the industry. And then I eventually found a place. It took a lot of different applications and rejections. And, you know, I just had to keep persevering to, to finally uh, end up where I am. Yeah, it's it's always nice to share the story into video games, because like you said, it's it's known to be something really difficult to get into. So the more we talk about it, the like more transparent we can be about how people can get in. And so what was like your the reaction from your family like when you did make that move from financial technologies into video games? Yeah, it was uh, not very well received. I think, you know, coming from so my parents are both immigrants. Uh, my father's from Guatemala and my mother's from the Philippines. And traditionally and culturally, there's this expectation that you have to work really hard to, uh, you know, enter a more lucrative career like traditional ones like doctors, engineers, lawyers, etc. just because I mean, my parents worked really hard to provide opportunities for, for me and my family. So there's that expectation. So when I told them that I was entering the games industry, they didn't really understand what it was. And they also thought that it was a regression in my career, in a sense. And I and I really wanted to you know prove to them that that's not the case and that actually the gaming industry is massive. It's a, it's a, it's a really, you know... Um, lucrative industry and that's not the reason why I'm in it but you know at least it's something that could be seen as uh, or perceived as that and then uh, yeah I think one of the ways to sort of assuage their worries was uh, when I finally showed them the trailer for the Tomb Raider Reloaded game and they kind of saw that oh this is something that's kind of glamorous or you know it's entertainment and they kind of got a better sense of what that was so um, now they see it did they have much awareness of video games before like you entered it did they just at all not really to be honest so i mean so i have an older brother and we grew up playing you know n64 and we had most of the consoles from ps1 but they never really had an interest or played with us or anything like that so they didn't really have an awareness of what the video games industry is Hmm. i guess the um tomb raider trailer was on such a grand scale like it's a a good looking game right um (laughs) they were kind of like oh, this is like movie level, like it's, it's, you know. Yeah, it's, it, well, I think because it's such a big uh, IP and well-known brand, you know, they, they had seen the films, so it was something that they could relate to. Yeah, because I did the uh, engineering to video games and comics uh, route, and that also required a, a conversation, and I'll leave that there. <laughs> no, I'd love to hear about it, actually. Um, <laughs> or have you already like exposed that in, during one of these interviews? Or? Uh, no, it's just uh, uh, so I'm uh, West African um, uh, family parents. Uh, many people in my family are doctors, doctorates, um, different different fields. But um, yeah, video games, comics, that kind of thing, uh, just not not in a not in a dictionary not in a dictionary so uh, to explain like what what that what that meant I think for me it was kind of um because I also work with young people like in in schools and stuff and I think um maybe the other stuff uh, that I do is still not understood but um uh, when it when they saw like what I was doing with uh, with young people and it's like okay you're having some kind of impact so that worked as well it's like just finding that way in to <laughs> exactly <laughs> to market it um, to your to your families, right? <laughs> and like, are there any skills or experience from the other industries you've worked in that have really helped you in video games? Yeah, definitely. I think through the work that I was doing in financial technology, there was a lot of data analysis and generating insights from data that you can use to develop a product. So in my case, it was mobile applications, which is why it was interesting, but at some point you're kind of limited in what you can do with payments apps or something. And I wanted to focus more on more immersive and interactive experiences, uh, which is why I wanted to get into games. But that that aspect of things definitely. And then soft skills, just generally being able to communicate with developers and software engineers, as well as people who are on the business side. That's something that exists, especially within the AAA um, environment that I'm in right now. It's navigating different stakeholders and and being able to communicate with all parties involved. Mm, So you've really like taken that, I don't know, traditional work into into, like the more creative. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think so. I think there's a, there's this, you know, agile software development, perhaps, yeah, Nigel, you're familiar with the term as a, as a software yeah. engineer, but that's something yeah, that is up. used within the broader tech space. Uh, and it's the framework that is used by a lot of game developers as well. So I definitely had a basic understanding of how to get a software product from sort of concept to, to launch. Yeah, I think that's good that you were able to bring uh, those kind of skills and experience. I, I had that um, also being a software engineer and bringing, su- yes, yeah, so a surprising amount. Cause when I tell people I did that and now sort of make comics, it's like, where's the connection? But yeah, a lot of those kind of, um, soft skills you're able to bring in help for what you do now. Yeah. Um, so we, you talked about advocacy in games. What does that mean practically speaking and how do you incorporate it into your work? Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's such a multifaceted thing. I think we hear a lot about advocacy within the games industry being supporting underrepresented people at all levels within the industry, uh, both behind the scenes and on screen. So it's increasing representation within the teams and studios that are developing games and also within the content itself and making sure that for the players that they are seeing characters that look like them, they're interacting with, with characters that feel authentic them if they're portraying specific cultures so practically speaking there's a lot of work to be done there and uh, I mean one way is obviously partnering with organizations advocacy groups like Bain and Games and Mayamata and 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 Code Coven to to be able to understand ways to improve diversity and inclusion recruitment practices working directly closely with HR uh, but also not just in recruiting the talent also making sure that once talent does get into the industry, that we're supporting them and mentoring them and being able to help them accelerate their careers and actually obtain leadership roles because the change won't really be made until the underrepresented folks are in those leadership roles and have more influence over the product and and over the dynamics and the the team culture as well. Totally understand that, you know, um, it's so easy to sort of just focus on getting people in, but if you don't make an environment that is, you know, sort of comfortable for people to feel accepted in that, then they're just going to leave, right? <laughs> yeah, that actually came up in the, uh, in the UK showcase uh, earlier about that. Yeah, once you get them, get people there, then it's about how do you make it an environment that is, and I guess that's the word inclusion. That's what that is, is that everyone feels like they are supposed to be here. Because even mm-hmm. like just over the past sort of year or, or, or two, just hearing people say like, they got to a position and just didn't feel like they were welcome there and how important that is for actually like retaining talent and helping people develop and who come from different like walks of life. Absolutely. And another thing that I didn't mention is that advocacy also has to come from yourself. If you are somebody from a marginalized background and you're in the industry, if you don't have that support, then you have to learn how to advocate for yourself too. And that will be challenging at times, but you know, it's one of the ways that we need to keep fighting the good fight. Mm-hmm. And a bit about uh, Square Enix. Um, I know that we're probably going to not not be able to get all the answers we want. But, um, you know, first of all, how did you come to work for Square Enix, being one of the biggest publishers in the industry? Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a good question. I was, so as I was saying, when I was working um, in the blockchain space, I spent a lot of time trying to navigate the ecosystem, the games ecosystem in, in the UK. And I joined a few Facebook groups or social media groups, uh, like, like Bayman Games and Woman in Games. And I was trying to find studios and individuals that were recruiting diverse talent, because they're through those social media groups, often people who work for specific studios will make posts about jobs, uh, job opportunities. And I saw that the head of my team had posted a job vacancy for a for an assistant producer role and I was interested in production because I had a product management background but I wasn't sure if that would make sense within the games industry so I asked if he would be open to having uh, an informal coffee chat just to try and understand the different you know what what the expectations for the role would be and whether I would be eligible to apply and and all this and he was super friendly and you know he's a great ally and he's actually built an amazingly diverse team and um, and I think it's really identifying individuals like that who are able to 
you know, help you give you some insight. When I actually went through the interview process, when they were starting to look for product managers, you know, I wasn't interviewing with him. I was interviewing with everyone else on the team so that there was no sort of nepotism or anything like that. It was a very fair process uh, when I had to do the, the interview rounds. But that was... Yeah, that was how I ended up there. It was a lot of sort of lurking around social media spaces and and trying to Some also uh, make contact. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've heard that a lot, like um, when people talk about how to find a job in the games industry and like Twitter <laughs> has cropped up a lot as being a great place to to network and to look out for those jobs and see people posting because a lot of the time people from teams do seem to share them mm. definitely do you think like there's a because i've heard that like a similar story as well and that those untraditional routes into the into the industry do you, like do you think that's something that's maybe not being focused on enough and um, I was trying to think how to phrase this, but the idea that you kind of go to university, uh, you graduate, then get a job, that sort of traditional route, that there's maybe a bit too much focus on that, or at least not enough focus on other ways into the industry. Yeah, I think every studio looks at it differently. I know in my case, for example, the head of my team, uh, he didn't actually have a university degree and he's leading the mobile publishing team at Square Enix, right? And so therefore, I think he also really advocates that diversity of experience because you never know the talent that you're going to get. And if anything, it bolsters and really can enhance the, uh, the diversity of what's being developed because everybody has different perspectives and, and this is what we're trying to do, right? I, um, I think increasingly more studios are less, I guess, strict about those, uh, you know, requirements and uh, criteria with the job postings and, and things like that. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And do you think um, sort of having that non-traditional route of, of like having jobs just like posted on Twitter and social media, do you think that encourages like diversity with it, like, in the roles and puts it out there for more more groups to see that wouldn't necessarily see them. Yeah, definitely. I think hearing from people who don't come from a traditional uh, academic game design background or, or anything like that, who are actively in industry would definitely be a way to inspire people. And then in terms of the job postings, I think one of the challenges right now with a lot of games industry job postings is that even entry level roles say you need X number of years in the industry. <laughs> So it's like they expect students to have had all these, uh, you know, all this games industry experience. But and, and this is the challenge that we're trying to tackle at Code Coven, too, right? In, in terms of helping the studios with changing the language in, in their job postings and, and also reducing the barriers to entry to be able to provide that education to anybody who's interested in games, but not, might not be able to afford the degree, right? Or or might have already finished a degree and don't really have a way to to access that education uh, that would be useful for the industry. Mm. I mean, there's so way, many ways to learn, right? Like online, I think I've self-taught myself the majority of things I know in life yeah, yeah. <laughs> from from online and books and everything. But, I mean, we um, we did a podcast interview with um, Decoy Games, who are a uh, brother development uh, indie studio in America, and they've made a game, Swim Sanity, and it, it's on sort of all the platforms, and we had it for a gamepad event. And they said they learned it from YouTube. They learned how to develop from YouTube, and then they're making their own studio. And it's just great to see. Yeah, we're so lucky. There are so many free online resources. I also was uh, you know, using so many of those tools, especially because I actually did the Code Coven Unity Development Bootcamp. And that was also one of the ways that I had started to gain some more industry experience, because at the time... The students in my class, we were able to contribute to early prototypes for a game that was actually in development uh, by a studio called Glow Up Games. And they're developing a mobile game for the HBO series Insecure, which is um, has a black female protagonist. And the game is all about supporting diverse audiences and women of color, especially. Nice. And a bit about like your role at Square Enix as project manager. Like what does a project manager actually do? And what what role do you play in the game production process? So, sorry, apologies if I slightly corrected because it's product manager rather than project manager. Although project manager sorry. is like, pro- or no, 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 that's really fine because I know see, this is exactly the thing though because I think product management looks different in a lot of different contexts. This is why and, I asked the question. And it, yeah. it includes it absolutely. And and I think right now there is it's still a fairly 
new role within the games industry. I think in the mobile games industry, it's already a known role. But when it comes to console development, that's emerging. Product management as a field is really emerging because of games as a service and this model that exists in mobile games already in terms of live operations and, and things like that. So in terms of what I do within Square Enix, uh, my role involves a lot of market research, user research, understanding who our target audience is for our games, and then supporting with managing what's called a product backlog, which is essentially all of the features that will go into the game, prioritizing those features, iterating through them, testing them, making sure that, uh, yeah, we're always taking that feedback from players through the play test through we have a player experience manager whose you know, player experience is kind of community management as well. So listening to what the players want, and then ensuring that all of that feedback is translated into how to refine the, the game itself. And yeah, it's it, you work cross functionally with a lot of functions within the team. So I work closely with art and uh, design and developers and the business development side. So there's, again, this sort of hybrid of the analytical and creative and a bit of project management along the way. Can I add in one of the, so, cause I just had a previous question in, in the chat, which I feel is kind of relevant here and kind of links mm-hmm. to a question I, I was thinking as well is basically this is from a uh, devourer. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, if not apologies, right. They say, was the games industry what you expected it to be? So as you've come in from sort of the, the world of finance uh, into this product manager role, is it is it what you thought, yeah, this is what I expected it to be, or was there something unexpected for you? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And I don't know that I had many expectations for it. I think definitely many of my expectations were met as in my hopes and dreams for what the games industry yeah. would be. I You know, I, I would come to work and suddenly be talking about some really cool things and some really interesting partners because obviously being at a a large studio like Square Enix we're working with a lot of cool partners and I thought whoa this is actually a creative job that's that's really cool but I also had visibility into what was happening within the indie scene too through what I was doing at Code Coven and that aspect of things was really enlightening because that was definitely a little bit different from what I understood having come from more larger corporate settings. Right? So, so yes and no, sorry. In short, <laughs> I don't have a really good question. So I don't have a really good answer to my question. <laughs> I think that was a great answer. <laughs> so you're working on upcoming Tomb Raider Reloaded mobile game. So why make a mobile game? Is this sort of aimed at Tomb Raider, existing Tomb Raider fans, or is it about bringing more awareness to the franchise, or is it a bit of both? Yeah, it's it's a little bit of both, definitely. And with mobile, I know there's a lot of hate for mobile games sometimes, especially with you know hardcore traditional console or PC gamers. With with mobile, it's very accessible, right? So there are over two billion mobile game players globally. There are over 3 billion uh, people with smartphones globally, right? So this is a huge market that's not just untapped from a business perspective, but also from a social impact perspective. You can actually bring these experiences and these, uh, you know, beautifully crafted stories or game mechanics and, you know, interactive experiences to people who might not have had access to them previously. And mobile games have existed for a while, but, you know, now we're seeing a lot more on mobile so I think uh, that's definitely one of the reasons why I think more some of the larger studios are starting to enter the space. Mm. No, yeah, I totally get that. I've recently sort of had my eyes opened and opinion changed on mobile games because I was so used to looking at it from my own perspective of like, I don't like mobile games. Like, why? <laughs> it's so small. I want like my big screen. Um, and I'm realizing exactly that, how many more people can play games. And especially with how um advanced sort of mobiles are now definitely games and not just you know sort of tap and not there's anything wrong with those games (laughs) but (laughs) obviously like when your interest is more like role-playing games or action games yeah uh, before that but they do exist yeah Yeah, there are yeah there are a lot of rpgs and and more immersive games on mobile and yeah i think so often you would need to like i personally have low visibility in my eyesight so i usually need a larger screen but um yeah no i think that's it's it's very powerful 
Definitely. And um, what are the challenges of adapting such a well-known franchise fr- uh, franchise <laughs> to a new to a new platform like that? Um, is there specific game design or working with fans? Yeah, it's um, so I don't work on the brand team directly, but obviously as a product manager, I have visibility into all aspects. And I think one of the challenges is maintaining that brand integrity and ensuring that you are still creating something that that the Tomb Raider fans or, you know, if it's an IP or any that the fans of a specific franchise would appreciate while also being innovative and, you know, building off of that what what's a new experience using the franchise that you can create so in terms of challenges definitely that brand integrity concept you know if you if you want to make some changes you want to make sure also that you're keeping things authentic to the story right and to the original story especially with um, Tomb Raider Reloaded because it's a revival of the original franchise yeah and um it's free to play, right? So how do you balance making a game that's enjoyable to, enjoyable to play with this new business model that has had so many like negative implications? Yeah, along with the hate of mobile games is the hate of microtransactions. I actually appreciate that. And um, <laughs> I think, uh, again, going back to the accessibility and inclusiveness concept, apologies, um, having a free-to-play game means that anybody can download it and start playing it for free. And the thing that you want to avoid is this pay-to-win model, right? Mm-hmm. So you really have to try and make sure that the balancing is done well so that it's not a pay-to-win model and that the people who play for free and are committed to grinding often, sometimes that's you know that's the way to get to where you want to be, but that means that, that you would have uh, a fair chance of, of uh, progressing through a game just as anybody else who pays as well and it's definitely a challenge but I think that it's possible to achieve. yeah and I think some of it is like it's almost what people are used to and then it's the way I see it like the industry to a certain extent trying to figure out how to use this business model I think trying to give sort of benefit of doubt uh, in a general sense where you're you have this new kind of model to play with, which kind of leads to different experiences. And sometimes they don't work out. And, and we've seen examples where they haven't worked out. But I think from a larger mm-hmm. sense, it's about trying to figure out, okay, what kind of experiences can we create that you say, like Carlos, are more accessible and can just get people in while still as an industry sort of having this game be sustainable. And so we can continue, if it's a good game, we can continue developing it, uh, maintaining it, supporting it. Uh, and growing it so i think some of it is like natural teething issues um and obviously we've yeah. seen some just out and out bad <laughs> <laughs> absolutely we're we're all learning it's it's a fairly new it's free to play has existed for a while but there are different monetization models and hybrids of things and i think the industry is experimenting to see what makes the most sense so yeah as you said nigel teething issues but hopefully we will arrive at something that makes sense and it will be different for every game right it's yeah. on the it's a fine balance, right? Because if you, you know, get your microtransactions wrong, it can actually make the game more expensive to play then. And then it kind of removes the idea of it being accessible, right? <laughs> so the mechanics re- reloaded look a lot similar to something like Arc Hero, which I had like a minor yeah. obsession with, like, I don't know, a while back. I think like end of 2019. I don't know. Uh, yeah, one of the, so one of the young people I, on our team, um, Dwayne, he um, plays that game. So uh, as part of like we were preparing okay. for this, he was like, oh yeah, I play, because he plays that a lot. So he was like, oh cool, it's kind of like this. And then, uh, so he was interested to know like how, uh, where the differences are and everything. Yeah. Okay. okay so <laughs> this is where I, I cannot start to divulge too much information, but um, Sorry, yeah. Dwayne. Okay. So was your question around, the fact that uh, how do you differentiate when or b- while building off of mechanics that exist oh, in other games? I didn't even get to the question. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> okay, okay, fair enough. Well, pretty much, yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I don't um, remember what you were saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're just going off on one on, on Archer. Um, so yeah, so games are creative and always building on what has like sort of gone before. So what's the best approach to iterate on a on past game develop and build off good features while adding like your own and making it fresh and new 
Yeah, it's it's a good question. And again, I think it really depends on what the intentions and goals are for a specific project. So if it's a mobile game, for example, the reason why we see a lot of mobile games that have similar mechanics, I think is because of this accessibility concept and actually trying to reach people who aren't traditionally gamers. And so once they understand a specific mechanic, then that's a great barrier to entry, right? It reduces the barrier to entry rather for, for that consumer, for that person who wants to play a, a game. So in terms of, you know, what's the best approach? I've, I've heard some different things from different people in the industry. I, I had a mentor once who told me that, uh, you know, you can sort of change the percentage of what is something that exists already versus what, uh, how much you want to innovate. So whether it's, okay, let's make the game 20% of, you know, mechanics and features that a player is already familiar with and 80% completely innovative, or, you know, you kind of play around with them with that, um, with that breakdown. And for something like you, I mean, you mentioned Archero. Uh, so it's actually a roguelike game, right? And uh, what we say with um, Tomb Raider Reloaded is also that it's a roguelike. And it's funny because the, the term roguelike has Hades, for example, is a roguelike game, right? And so the, it has all of these mechanics, but Hades is, is very, you know, innovative and different from Archero, right? And I mean, of course, it's a different platform too, but that, that term actually comes from the game Rogue, right? Which was, ex which existed, I think, in the 1970s, one of the, like, an early game. So that, that term has actually become an industry standard, but it's because it's taking mechanics and, and features that exist from a, a game that started. And I think you, you see that with a lot of, that's how genres are created, right? Mm -hmm. With using um, mechanics, so. Awesome. Um, we're actually going to bring on a, another guest now. So uh, Midi is a Cold Coven alumni and um, an aspiring uh, video game artist, right? Uh, I'm an aspiring VTuber, but I oh, am interested in uh, art for video games. Cool. Yeah, the VTuber, we could, that could be a whole other... Uh, yeah. Point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's I'm cool. currently obsessed with VTubers. <laughs> it's very fun. It's very yeah. fun. I, I will say that. We'll start with uh, finding out. Sorry, let me let me get. I'm just sorry. I just like my brain has just pooped out. It's just thinking of VTubers now. It's <laughs> like gone off wandering. Um, so we want to talk a bit about Code Coven and you know the opportunities that that presents and what it is. Um, so, Carla, this is a question for you. Uh, what does Code Coven do and what's your role in the organization? Sure, yeah. What does Code Coven do? I guess so Code Coven, we call ourselves the first global games industry accelerator for underrepresented talent. And I guess the way that we do that is uh, we have something called the Triforce, which is the academy, the I'm accelerator. Sold. And I mean, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and our teaching studio. So through the, through the academy, we offer online courses, such as the Intro to Game Making course that Midi took. And that's a great entry point for people who don't have any game development uh, experience or background to be able to learn how to navigate tools like Unity and, and actually start building game projects. And then we offer accelerators, which are for slightly more advanced or game developers, or at least people who have are a little bit further along in their game development journey. And through this, uh, we had, for example, the summer program last year, which was for students and recent graduates, and we banded them into multidisciplinary teams to create game projects from concept to completion. So it was a, a, essentially like an extended game jam. So over the course of 11 weeks, they were making games. And then we also paid them to, to do that work as well, because we want to make sure that uh, everyone's compensated for, for hard work that they do. And then we also ran the GDC Relief Fund Accelerator last year, which was for indie studios that had been struggling due to the pandemic uh, to be able to support them with getting their game projects uh, into a position to be able to pitch to publishers or even self-publish. Uh, so we're really trying to tackle the diversity challenge at, at different levels um, within the industry. In terms of my role and, and what I do at Code Coven, so... My title is head of business development, uh, but it's, I wear a lot of different hats. Uh, basically, I spend a lot of time trying to fundraise for the initiatives that we're running so, so that we could pay the staff, pay, uh, you know, get the, the scholarship funding, get, get the stipends for, for the, um, participants that, that go through the programs. Also, 
partnering with different organizations and advocacy groups to make sure that we can have an even broader impact. And then um, I also teach the odd workshop and, and class when I can, because that that's what I really appreciate and, and, and enjoy. But I do enjoy the, you know, partnering and trying to figure out how to how we can make a better impact. But but it is fun when you get to work with the people that you're like uh, to sort of support and everything that does. Yeah, that kind of makes it real. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Carla actually uh, interviewed me for the yeah. intro to game making class. Making, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so Mitty was one of the ones who got our scholarship, which was, yeah, which was great. So it's it's great to like, see the full circle. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Um, so, Midi, this one's for you. Um, what is the intro intro to game making program, and what did you do, and what impact did it make for you? So, the intro to game making program is a unity based boot camp program where they'll bring in different groups together. We'll have a class, like I believe it was like three days a week. It's supposed to kind of get us started into. Uh, how Unity works, teach us a bit about the industry, and kind of put us at a point where we'll figure out how we can learn. Whoop, sorry about that. How we can learn more about games and how they're made, and how we can also put our ideas out there to be kind of seen. Yeah. And um, what what did you do, and what what impact did that make for you? So I made two ish mini games. I really enjoyed the class because it gave me some sort of, what's the word I'm looking for? Structure. (laughs) Structure, because during the pandemic, it was kind of hard to get into things and research things because everything was changing so rapidly. But the, the class kind of gave me the structure to kind of look into something and start to learn more about it. Yeah. And, um, what is your uh, aspiration in video games or careers? industries in general so i'm primarily a illustrator comic artist person so when i started looking into like game development i was trying to learn more about how as an artist what different parts of games i could get into aside from like the general character design and stuff like that i would really love to make art probably character art for like a video game or probably like visual novel leaning that would be pretty cool. <laughs> so visual yeah. novel is that? So is that? Because my mind immediately went to like comics, but you don't mean like <laughs> comic or graphic novel. Is that something different? So uh, visual novel games, kind of. I think people are more familiar with how dating sims are visual novels, essentially. I, I, I guess now that you mention it, visual novels and comics kind of can be very interchangeable depending on how okay. they're presented. So right. that's a that's a thought. <laughs> with, um, you are welcome to the thought <laughs> how uh comic books like e-reading comic books is sort of changing right definitely yeah yeah it's not so much flipping through pages now it's kind of scrolling down <laughs> and even the uh panel transitions i think who is it that does it like marvel i don't know no actually i think it's comicsology where you you rather than seeing the whole page you see oh panel by panel each panel by panel and yeah yeah i think some of them are starting to be like actually like slightly animated so like just a short yes yes yeah. so I, I have seen a couple of those uh, those are really interesting it really is playing on different aspects of how digital things are now and what more mm-hmm. you can bring to comics it's very cool yeah <laughs> so you said earlier that you're also like aspiring to be a vtuber like an aspiring vtuber so how does your skills that you've learned from video game making and like art translate into your VTubing? So I feel like there's not a direct translation, but for VTubing, a lot of art making is involved. So since I already know how to um, illustrate and whatnot, that kind of comes easy, just kind of producing that content. As far as video game making and VTubing... I think it just gives me a different perspective on how to kind of delve into talking about video games because VTubing is like essentially like you are, at least in my case, it's just me, but with a character I've drawn and animated and I'll play video games and 
instead of just playing the video games, I can talk about it. I can dissect different assets about it. So I think that's pretty cool. Cool. And this is for both of you. But what does the video game industry need to do to be more inclusive and accessible? Um, I guess I'll go first. For me, I have very simple like wants out of uh, diversity in video games. And that's seeing more customization options for characters. I remember when Animal Crossing came out, everyone was really ecstatic about how you can change your gender anytime, you can uh, change your skin color, and they had a variety of skin colors available. And I remember people were pushing for, we want uh, more black hairstyles. And, And then we did get that, and everyone was really ecstatic about that. So I know for me, I would just like to see more character options, essentially, yeah right there with you i have a thing about video games and hairstyles available (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) absolutely it's it's really important i think what made it touched on is is definitely what the industry needs to be doing in terms of listening to players and really getting that feedback and making changes where they need to be made and we've seen a lot recently not just from a cultural and uh, you know racial and ethnic perspective but also players with disabilities for accessibility as well in adding accessibility options within games that's something that's really important as well and again going back to what I was saying earlier I think that type of empathy and openness can exist and people are more willing to listen now due to recent you know social justice movements and resurgence of you know Black Lives Matter but it also takes a certain mindset and Often that mindset does come from people who uh, come from those marginalized backgrounds because they've been on the other side, right? So they understand that experience and what what the needs are. And that's why I was saying it's important to have those people represented in when uh, as the content creators. Yeah, and I think the thing about like video games is uh, I always like to think of like video games are stories. And I think like the power of stories is to get that perspective of another person. I think unless you're, unless you're a celebrity, like you don't, uh, consume stories that are about you. Uh, I guess celebrities have that luxury. But uh, so when you're consuming these stories, it's about putting yourself in another person's shoes. And I find that, um, yeah, just adding to that diversity of stories that are told um, basically puts us in more shoes. More shoes is what I'm advocating for. Uh, let's get more <laughs> shoes. More shoes of all yeah. sizes. Yeah. <laughs> there, there you go. That's, that's where I was going with that. <laughs> I'm going to. Um add a question from the chat here because I think it goes really nicely and this one is from Trista Bites who is friend of the show (laughs) and her question is do you find raising representation for one marginalized group helps boost all groups I know I'd feel more at ease in a visibility visibility multicultural environment as a queer person for example yeah, it's, it's a great question. Maybe did you have something to add? Or, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, uh, I, I was going to say, yeah, definitely. Because I know when I started the Code Coven program, there was just a lot I was thinking about when I first started because I also recently graduated college. I would think I was comparing those classes with like similar faces, similar people. I felt like I really stuck out in college. But when I was in the Code Coven classroom, a lot of people looked like me, spoke like me, and were actually nearby. So I think bringing that sort of changes makes everyone feel more comfortable. And then that that also just produces better environment and people make better work when they're comfortable like that. Absolutely. I think uh, just because you have one person from a specific underrepresented background on a team doesn't mean that you're suddenly, okay, you're good. Diversity is done. <laughs> you're, you're, oh, the yeah. work is done. No. It's just we've won. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's something that we're really trying to understand the the full spectrum of marginalized people, not just from a, a racial and ethnic perspective, but from a sexual orientation, gender perspective, as I was saying, disabilities, education, what I was saying earlier about the the your previous academic and professional experience, right? That's diversity too. So yeah, I think increasingly studios are now trying to tackle that. They're the the BFI actually, which is the British Film Institute, they have these criteria 
for um, or diversity standards for all of the content that gets produced from a film perspective. And it actually addresses all of these different aspects. And you have to meet these standards in order for your film projects to get greenlit through it. So I think this is something that I'm actually working on at Square Enix and, you know, kind of emulating similar standards. And I think it's something that the whole industry should be doing so that it's not just a representation from one specific subgroup. Mm. Yeah, Definitely. Cool that. yeah. And yeah. I think for me, like with like bringing different groups together, like I always see the the case for diversity is just like a, a moral one of like making sure people are included. But there's even like a, a business case in terms of like having that diversity of perspective and thought and ensuring that ideas are tested. And I feel like the best ideas are the ones that have been tested, but you only really do that when you have people that are uh, like coming from different walks of life. So like for me, I think that's a good question. I, I agree with it because it's, yeah, it's not necessarily just about one group. It's about having sort of different groups and then being able to see like, okay, having these different perspectives makes a better product. Yeah. So I like, I just wanted to touch on, on what, um, Midi, you said about your, your college, um, sort of having a type of person that, that, and that's just what it look, looked like. Um, I'm not even asking a question. I just want to like reiterate that, um, it just being so important that there isn't like a, a one, like this is what someone in this industry looks like, right? It's just so yes. important to have different people. If everyone looked different, then no one would feel like they're not supposed to be there because you're like, oh, there's variety here. So yeah, yeah. definitely. And I, it's unfortunate I can't count how many times I've felt that in like different settings, like college classes too. So it's very unfortunate. <laughs> it's so common. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely, definitely. Um, I think a lot of us can can see that experience. We're just getting a raid, um, so I just want to oh. you know uh, acknowledge acknowledge the raid. Thank you so much for the raid, past assault. Welcome everyone. We are talking today. Um, about Code Coven and also the journey into video games. So welcome, learn some stuff. And just on continuing on like diversity, what do you think we are doing as like in the games industry? What do you think we're doing right? And where is there still some room for improvement? Want me to take that first, Mitty? Sorry, I, I look to you, but I don't. Yeah. I, I realize that you probably can't looking at me, so I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at you, but like, I wasn't sure if you were kind of like look looking. <laughs> <laughs> If you want to go ahead, you can. Otherwise, I'm happy to chime in. Oh, no, go ahead. You can You can go. Um, okay, so I guess the question is around diversity, what's being done actively right now, and where's the room for improvement, right? Mm -hmm. I think, as I alluded to earlier, the recent resurgence of social justice movements, like the games industry had its own Me Too movement last year, and then the Black Lives Matter movement also amplified this need and raised a lot of awareness around diversity and inclusion. And so a lot of studios started actually creating roles, which probably should have existed before, but now they uh, are dedicated to diversity and inclusion. So you, you're seeing a lot of uh, diversity and inclusion leads now at a lot of major studios. And then at Code Coven, we're seeing many more partners or prospective partners, you know, approaching us and trying to understand how they can uh, improve their recruitment practices and also the, uh, sensitivity consultants too that's something we're doing at Square Enix uh, and a, a lot of studios are doing this so making sure that when you're creating content that portrays specific cultures that you if you don't have anybody on your team that represents that culture and can and even if you do because realistically one person can't always speak on behalf of an entire <laughs> race or culture right and I think that's an exhausting yeah. thing for a lot of people and we all experience it and so it's about making sure that you are approaching and asking for advice from from the right people. So in that sense, I think that it's definitely moving in the right direction. There is a lot of work to do. Why? Because the current stats, right, as of the UK census uh, from last year, for example, I think it was, or I'm also thinking about the IGDA, but I know that I think currently uh, over 70% of games developers identify as male and then less than 2% of game developers are black. I think that's globally. And then in the UK, less than 10% uh, 
are BAME, or as in Black, Asian, Minority, Ethnic, or People of Color, whichever acronym or term you decide to use. I know there's a lot of contention around different things, so I want to make sure that I'm not using a term that people don't appreciate. But uh, yeah, that's where my head is. For me, as someone who's like more of a consumer rather than like in the industry currently, I think the thing that I'm seeing that I enjoy is that more indie game developers are getting platforms on bigger like game sections. So like, for example like Among Us being on the Nintendo Switch now and such like that. Being able to see that smaller developers coming from different backgrounds are able to put themselves somewhere where they can be seen like that gives so much more to the community where other game developers also feel like, hey, if they can do that, I can do that. Um, And then we can get a more diverse sense of backgrounds from people who are making games rather than just like, you know, AAA and com- mm-hmm. like really company-based games. And more diverse types of gameplay, right? That too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So what would you say to parents for young people wanting to work in video games today? I feel like that's more a Carla question. Oh. <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> oh, we can both answer. Uh, <laughs> I would say um, to... I would, I would try to debunk this myth that video games are toxic. I think that's something that maybe a specific generation holds this perspective because people often connote or associate video games with violence and toxicity, but the inverse is the case. In fact, there are so many initiatives. I know that Deb Mensa Bonds, who was previously doing an interview here, and you know, she's focused on games for good and social impact, and there's so much there and I think it's exposing parents perhaps to these types of experiences and and showing actually these are educational these are insightful these can actually create better humans like better citizens of the world whatever it is I mean it's not to be cliche but you know it's like (laughs) that that's definitely one avenue that can be explored um yeah debunking that myth uh Midi did you have anything to add to that uh so for parents uh, who have children who want to get into video game making. Yeah. So I think um, just that there's there's just a lot of avenues that they can take. It's not just a... It's not just about games with game making. It's also about just... I'm losing my, my train of thought all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> but definitely... Like, like, like the amount of yeah, so basically that there's, there's different avenues. Because I feel like a lot of parents will be like, oh, games are, you know their toys and such but it's it's more than that like carla had mentioned games can be educational games can teach people things so i think it's just like taking into account that games aren't impactful that's what i wanted <laughs> it's, the it's games true, can be impactful. Though, and, yeah absolutely and i think games are also simulations and testing grounds for a lot of different sectors so i don't know if you're familiar with google DeepMind and the work that they're doing but they mm. use games as a way to get breakthroughs in AI that actually support the healthcare sectors and different scientific advancements. And they were doing that by playing, you know, having their AI play Warcraft or having their AI play chess. So it's like, <laughs> that, that, that's fundamentally games is actually making that kind of impact. And yeah, I think uh, it's about broadening that scope. And like uh, Midi mentioned, just having sort of uh, parents or guardians or, or those, you know, uh, in a position to support young people who would want to go into the industry, that it's not just a plaything. Uh, and even in mm. the aspect of it being a, a piece of entertainment, realizing that it takes a lot of people and a lot of jobs <laughs> to, to yeah. make that entertainment. Oh, yeah. And then just, yeah, just broadening <laughs> that, that scope, I feel. Yeah, definitely. That credit credit role is pretty long, yeah, <laughs> especially yeah. for some of the, the bigger AAA games, you know. Uh, <laughs> and so um, both of you sort of mentioned um, that, you know, they can be an impactful tool. Video games can be an impactful tool. What are some of the other benefits that video games have to offer? And also some of the risks just to be aware of getting in. Because obviously, if we know risks, then we can navigate them better. I'll have to consider that a little bit. <laughs> In terms of risks, I would say online safety is definitely something that comes a lot, but that's not just uh, exclusive to video games, although increasingly because there are tons of social social and MMO type games, that that could be a concern for parents and also for individuals that are adults that are playing. And there are a lot of initiatives, though, that are trying to support with 
ensuring that there is no toxicity within that live chat environment or in-game experience. And community management does a great job for, for doing that. And then the benefits, I think, are all the things that we mentioned already and more. So. <laughs> for parents, I think it's just um, be aware of what media your children are consuming and just like being aware of ratings because for the amount of uh, teenage boys I am familiar with that play like Call of Duty, stuff like that. I'm just like, your, mo- your mom lets you play Call of Duty? <laughs> like, like, things like that. You know. Sorry, was you, did you have more to add to that? <laughs> oh, no, I, I was just saying like this, things similar like that. But yes, the, the benefits of um, games are just very broad, very broad span. There's just so much. There's so much good. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, we're going to go into a sort of segment that we do, um, which is we get some tips from our guests. So we sort of do this in most of our interviews where we ask our guests to give some advice for aspiring creative professionals. And because we're talking about games today, uh, I'm going to ask you both to give us some advice uh, that our listeners may need or want to get started in the video games industry. So we'll start with Carla. Sure. Uh, So definitely look to following some of the advocacy groups on social media or, uh, you know, I think those are, that's a good low hanging fruit, so to speak, in terms of how you can start to learn more about jobs and also the organizations and individuals that want to hire more diverse talent. It really depends on where you want to end up in the industry. And if you're not sure, then just you know, do the research, play. I, I would hope that you already play lots of games. If you want to enter the industry, that's that's the most important thing. Play different <laughs> Definitely games. Definitely play lots of Yeah, play different games. Also have a, an analytical mindset while you're playing games sometimes. Not not always. Like you obviously want to enjoy the experience and not have to do that. But it does help because you can sort of dissect games and try to think like a game designer from that perspective. And then there are tons of free resources. We were discussing it earlier, right? Lots of free online resources. Or um, if you're actually wanting to learn to develop in game engines or any kind of content creation, you're going to find a YouTube tutorial for it. And apply to Code Coven if you can. If you, you know, do, do whatever. There are there are also lots of great other uh, advocacy groups that are offering workshops. Pixels is another one. Uh, I mean, I, I, there's yeah, there's a bunch. I can share them in the chat, or maybe you can send them. I'll I'll share them with 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 your team, and we can yeah, see how to distribute. Yeah, MIDI. What about you? I was going to say, so like Carla said, play video games. Games, playing games for research is a thing. <laughs> so that's 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 definitely something to consider. And then yeah, like like Carla also mentioned, there are plenty of free resources. And one of the things, one of the more important things I learned from Code Coven is kind of because of these resources, it's teaching yourself kind of how to look for them. Um, and kind of finding the way that you learn and how you can consume those resources and kind of use them as best as you can. Yeah, that's a really important point because there is a there's a lot of information. Like we're not we're not starved of information where we are right now. It's about like how do you find the right information to like help you achieve what you want to do. Um, and I think like with what Carla said about sort of maybe that access to information and then that guidance from some of these groups that can help you take advantage of like. The, the masses of resources that are that are out there. This is how I learned how to set up the stream free resources. So <laughs> it, it works definitely. Yeah, both like amazing tips, and I feel like they can sort of apply to other creative industries as well. So you know, not not completely exclusive to gaming. Um, yeah, definitely. Tips. Yeah. I was going to say, even for illustration, traditionally people would think, oh, you, for art, you have to go to college like other things. That's not necessarily true now. There's a lot of free resources online and even online, like one off classes that you can take to like learn and get your basics. So mm-hmm. there's a lot out there. Yeah, definitely. I've recently started learning Blender. Ooh, Blender. <laughs> 3D, is, 3D is so scary to me. <laughs> It's, it's literally just because I want to make my own uh, VR chat avatar, but you know. <laughs> I know. I'll, I'll have to DM you about about something like that because there, there's there's one program I'm thinking of um, that's kind of simple to start. 
Okay. I may already know it and was like that I need more customization. <laughs> probably. 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 Yeah. <laughs> um, For most VTubers, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe we can we can get you back on and do a VTuber sort of session interview. <laughs> That'd be so fun. I'm sorry, Nigel. I just put stuff out there. Like, <laughs> I'll say out there and then we have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Once it's recorded, it's like yeah, it's there. Um, <laughs> uh, so I'm going to check in with chat um, and go get some more questions. We have been answering some of the questions as we've gone along, just because they fit in so well. But you know, I I can see you. I see you there, chat. Thank you so much for joining us today um, and joining us live. Like we have, make sure you're following because we do have lots of content coming up and lots of live shows coming up that you can get information from uh all very educational some of them fun we do have uh, community game nights as well but a lot of educational information coming out um so hallie asks how do you tackle storytelling mechanically in your games for example with the game mechanics or options in dialogue do you prefer one over the other wow that's a you are uh, at the risk of giving myself more work um that sounds like it would be a good stream to do to uh, bring on um, sort of narrative designers uh, and mm. do a discussion on that. Uh, so maybe that's something we can do. He says uh, now having to organise that. <laughs> so now you have to organise a <laughs> yeah. VTubing one. And, uh... <laughs> yeah, because that's... Cause, like, um, so uh, Hallie is uh, touched on something that I'm interested in because I, um, as well as doing our gaming uh, stuff, uh, we make manga. So I write, uh, tell stories. The characters you see on the overlay are our characters. So they're taking that storytelling and adapting it for uh, video games where you have that agency and you have the player making the decisions. That's something that interests me. So I'd, um, yeah, if you're happy to wait a little while, I'd like to have a whole event where we can talk, <laughs> uh, talk about that. Do we have any more questions that haven't been answered? Uh, I feel like I saw one uh, that, okay, no, I did not. I'm imagining things. It is it is fine. But I do want to just mention what RM King said. Um, they said, just want to say thanks for setting this up and it's been a great learning experience. Thank you. We're, we're happy that we could have our wonderful guests on and, and provide you with, with an educational experience as it is. So we do have a couple of reminders um, for upcoming things that we have going on. Uh, so our next live stream will be on Tuesday, the 30th of March, and that is the mental health in video games with gaming, the mind, safe in our world and splash damage. So we do have representatives from each of those organizations. Um, and we're just going to be talking about, yeah, mental health in video games, which I think is very important, um, especially over like the last year a bit now you know <laughs> and counting, <laughs> and yeah, counting yes yeah. um uh, video games have played a very very key role in our mental health over the, the last whatever this time period has been 10 10 long years <laughs> um, so yeah we'll be talking talking about that um we also have our next gamepad online event it's our spring event and it will be on Saturday the 10th of April from 3pm. You can get your tickets now and ticket holders will get new exclusive high-res artwork. So it is really worth um, getting those tickets. Plus it gives you more information and the yeah the opportunity to have more information. Plus you'll get a reminder about what's coming up. I have a, another question here. So I'll answer ask that quickly uh again from hallie how do you feel about bugs and glitches when they cause fun oh that's a good one i would love to hear what carla thinks about that <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh yeah this is <laughs> a good question yeah. um i'm actually playing um, okay the, i the feel it's tomb raider uh game i haven't found any bugs but i want to hear your your views on this <laughs> yeah i think I think that's definitely something that's probably more console PC relevant in terms of bugs that are fun because I have yet to find fun bugs. 
<laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, just probably because I have to spend so much time also yeah. trying to identify the bugs and fixing <laughs> bugs. So they're not that fun for me. But uh, yeah, sorry, I don't have a very good answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> but I would say, I mean, if there's a if there's a case for it, as in usually what we do is if if we identify something that's flagged as a bug, but maybe not maybe it's not really a bug, and we can actually get away with you you know keeping it in game, we'll we'll user test, we'll run a play test, and and see how people react to it, and if they like it, okay, suddenly that's a silver lining. But if if they don't, then obviously we need to fix it. So yeah. Uh oh. Uh, not sure what's happened there. We've uh, lost Tazzy. <laughs> cool okay i will uh we are at the end of uh the interview so i will uh take over while tazzy's video oh there she is sorry about that no. see it's it's live um while technology just like falls around um falls down around us <laughs> let me just say thank you to uh carla thank you to midi for joining us uh, and giving us your perspectives and your journeys Thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. Cool. See, I was going to yeah, say of course. thank you to the technology for sticking around and making sure we can do this, but I can't even say that now because it's just all going. So, all right. So, the stream, uh, thank you for joining us, everyone. Um, oh. I'm appearing in multiple places. So, we'll just say follow <laughs> this us. This is so funny. I know. <laughs> follow us on Twitch. Uh, follow us uh, on social media and check out our latest event. Uh, and then we'll go, we're going to take some time to figure out what's going on here. But thanks for joining us, everyone. Uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs>